<laughs> okay, good evening everyone. Today we're going to discuss, do we need Sadiqim, do we need righteous people? Last week, we spent time discussing how all of us together make up one sum total, we're all one body. And just like the nail is completely connected to the brain, each and every one of us is connected to the brain, essentially connected to God. There are two quotes that we find. The halakta bidrachav, an easy one, relatively. The, the, to, the Torah in Deuteronomy says, the halakta bidrachav, go in the path of God. So the Talmud says, what does it mean, the path of God? Mahu rachum, Just like Hashem has mercy, we all must act with mercy. Just like Hashem doesn't get anger, we know, in the time of Noah, for ten generations God waited before getting angry. So too we have to be calm and not take out our anger right away. Just like Hashem buries dead people, so too we need to bury the dead. Just like by Abraham Hashem visited the sick, we need to visit the sick, etc. Not too complicated. But then, we have another quote. The quote says, Ulidavka boy, cling to God, cleave to God. Impossible. Let's see the quote. If you have your handout, it is number nine. We're on footnote number nine. If you have copies of the Tanya or if you have the handout, we're in number nine. Handout, certainly. We have two here. Does anyone else need a handout? Nine. Tony, please read footnote number nine. Read the footnote itself. Read the footnote itself. He said to them. And to cleave to. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Footnote number eight. <laughs> and to cleave to him. Is it possible to say this? Is God not, is God not a consuming fire? Deuteronomy four twenty four. Rather, it means cleave to the disciples and the sages, and I will consider it as though you cleave to me. Fantastic! So the Talmud says impossible to cleave to God. God is a consuming fire. So what does it mean to cleave to Him? We have to cleave to Talmidei Chachamim, the sages. We've discussed until now tzaddikim. We discussed this level of this human being, which seemingly is not a human being. They never sin. They never have negative thoughts. They're in con full control of themselves. But what is a Torah scholar? It's a different word. There's a Talmid Chacham, a Torah scholar, or to be precise, and we're going we're to look into this in a second, we're going to call it a scholar of wisdom, Talmid, a scholar. Chacham, wisdom. And then you have a tzaddik, a righteous man. What is the difference between a tzaddik, a righteous man, and a talmid chacham, a scholar of wisdom? Dr. Yosef, scholar of wisdom. What is the difference between the two? Um, well, you can be a scholar without necessarily being righteous. Fantastic. You could be brilliant yeah. and not be righteous. And on the other hand, you could also be righteous and not be brilliant. Yeah. We have... In Tanakh, in the Torah itself, we find examples of people that were not very smart, yet they were complete 
they were righteous people. So, how do we define a Talmid Chacham? Ladi, what's the definition of a scholar of wisdom? Someone who's dedicated to learning. Dedicated to learning. Consumed with learning. We have a quote in Ethics of the Fathers. Ethics of Our Fathers. It's again in your footnote. This would be... Sorry, this is coming from the Talmud. Tracti Tamid 32a. Footnote number 9. Please, will you honor us? He said to them, Who is called wise? They replied, Who is wise? He who discerns what is about to come to pass. Who is wise? Someone that knows the future. Eizahu chacham haroes hanolad. Someone who knows the future. He is a wise person. But, let's make a little play on words. Haroe es hanolad. Haroe. Translation, someone who sees es hanolad. You could translate it the general, the common translation, which is someone who sees the future. That means a wise person is someone who thinks ahead. Let's take an example from Haman and Mordechai. The Talmud shares with us, the Midrash actually shares with us, how they were both out at war many years before the story of Purim, and Mordechai conserved his food, and it was able to last him for a while. Haman got rid of it right away. Haman's about to die. He therefore asks Mordechai for something to drink. Mordechai says, look, I'll give it to you if you sign on my shoe that you're my slave. Haman signed on Mordechai's shoe that he was Mordechai's slave. Which if you look into the story of Purim, you'll see this is one of the reasons that Haman so hated Mordechai. But, so Haman did not see the future. He wasn't looking to the future. That's the general understanding of a wise person. Eizhu chacham, who is wise, haroes hanolad, someone who sees the future. But, let's give it a little different take. Eizhu chacham, who is a wise person, haroes hanolad, he who sees how things were created, how they were born. Haroe, someone who sees as hanolad. Nolad could also mean birth. So a wise person is someone that recognizes the creation, the birth of everything, which essentially is God. A Talmid Chacham, a scholar of wisdom, Eilehu Chacham, who is a scholar of wisdom? Someone that recognizes that God is the creator of everything in the world. So the Talmud tells us, you want to connect yourself with God? You want to attach yourself? You have to cleave to a Talmid Chacham. Why? And this goes back, and I told you, Vicky, last week I said, that we'll discuss your question. If I'm correct, you asked last week, you said, I'm connected to God. Why do I need a Tzaddik? Why do I need a Rebbe? Correct? Was that your question? I don't recall. You don't recall. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, b I believe you asked the question last week. <laughs> I, I'm always talking. We can go listen on the there you go, you can listen online. Oh, we could. <laughs> and it's a great question, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about now. What is the need for a tzaddik? The Talmud says you want to cleave to God, you need to connect with a tzaddik. But why? There's nothing we're discussing that Kabbalah instituted. There's nothing we're discussing that Hasidus instituted. It's a quote from the Talmud, Tractate Tamid 32a, that was written over 2000, that was written approximately 1800 years ago. You want to connect to God? 
connected static. Why? Benzene. Why do we need a connected static? But why do we need him? Uh, yes, you may be on a higher level, but I have my own connection to God. What's the reason for, the, for Why is it necessary? The Talmud says without him you can't cleave to God. Why? I remember something your mother said, where she said that the intermediary, like it could be Rabbi Schneerson, acts as our lawyer. And when we're being judged, can remember and make our case better to God. So, I have a little problem with that statement. <laughs> uh, no, I, so I'm, I'm going to hope my mother didn't say it in exactly those words. I'll tell you why. The Torah says there is no intermediaries. So this is important to know. There is no such thing as an intermediary. She said a lawyer. A lawyer. Yeah. That, would be, that would be precise. Okay. A lawyer and intermediary, seem, they sound similar, but we're going to discuss how they're complete opposites. There is only us and God. Yes. Could it? Uh, this is oversimplifying, obviously, but it, is, um, is is there value to um, being close to somebody who has a, um, a higher level of knowledge, a wider knowledge base, more spirituality, and can we benefit from being close to that person? So that's a separate mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to hang around good people. Uh-huh. And hanging around good people will make you a good person. That's fine. But uh, that's a much lower level than we're discussing. Okay. We're saying that, not, we're not saying get, the, get into the feeling. No, we're saying you're not able to connect to God. Let's quote the Talmud says, cleave to the disciples and the sages and I, I will consider as if you cleave to me. That means it's much deeper than that. Okay. It's not about affecting you, it's actually about somehow connecting to God. To yes? Because maybe someone that's more learned in that way is planning ahead better. So then that's helping you plan to be connected. So. Maybe they'll be able to direct you better, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, that's coming from a party planner. <laughs> Similar to like, just like the bracha for pulling the bracha for the sick, we have the rabbi say it because Shem, if, 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 if a tzaddik feels scarred for someone that's lower than him, then Hashem feels scarred for that person as well. Okay, if a tzaddik, let's talk about that, about the Cholim in a second. Good point. Yes, David? It's extremely important not to let this business of an intermediary slip by. The assertion of Christianity that it is necessary to have an intermediary, an intercessor, between the mortal and the divine in the, in the substance of uh, whatever particular nuance of Christianity to, what, to which one adheres, in order that one can reach God and one cannot reach God except through the intermediate of Yashkipandra, is absolutely antithetical to Judaism. Now, since we reject that out of hand, and it constitutes heresy and an abomination to assert that, what then is the role of what you bring up? The Mishnah specifically says in the Perky of both 
that while you are responsible for your education and not to wait to study, at the same time, in order to be a whole person, you must not do it in isolation. You need to be a part of the community and to get yourself a companion and a scholar with whom to study. Right. So that addresses that if you only consider God in isolation and rely only on your own, that you could tend to heresy or to make mistakes. And the ability to deal with somebody, which ties up to your point, if you can get somebody who you know to be rightly speaking pure, all the better that you should cleave unto that person as a guide that does not absolve you of the individual responsibility of engaging in that pursuit and making those associations and continuing to study the Word of God. Well, I appreciate that. And I think that goes along the lines of what Melissa and Lottie were saying, that we, we need to constantly be in the company well, I of good... To, I wanted to bring that up in connection with avoiding any suggestion of an intermediary. Got it. Got it. Uh, let me share with you footnote number 10. It's very powerful. Again, it's going to just stress the question. There is a custom to ask a scholar of the Torah to pray for a sick person because, and this is what Ben-Sian said. I need to issue a quick declaimer. I did not want to show any disrespect to the person who prepared my grandchildren for the bar and button. There is a custom to ask a scholar of the Torah to pray for a sick person because all of Israel are partners comprising one body and soul. Preferable to have the head make a request before the foot. The scholar of the Torah is the head, the person in pain who currently is being judged, the foot. Preferable to have the head speak. The, the response of the Chassam Sofer or Achaim 166. So again, we're kind of back to this point. It's clear that we're interdependent on a tzaddik. He's not an intermediary, but we need him. If someone's sick, one of the methods that, that uh, the Torah prescribes is to go to a righteous man and ask him to pray for him, written in the Code of Jewish Law. And yet it's all crystal clear. Exactly what we learned last week. We learned that all of Israel is one body. We learned that we all make up one complete person. So of course, the foot, the foot doesn't talk for itself. If, as we discussed, all of us, let's say we're the heel, right? We said our generation is called the heel of this body. If we're the heel, we can't talk for ourselves. So having a tzaddik talk, and this is a key I want to say, Vicky, is not an intermediary, God forbid. He's literally a part of us. The tzaddik is not saying, let's please, pre please pray on behalf of so-and-so. He's saying, I'm in pain. And that's why we, I personally am in pain, God, and, and heal me. We know all of these stories, many stories. One of the, one of the re Rebbe's, he was once talking to a man who had just told him about a certain sin he had done and asked for a method of purification. And the Rebbe pulled up his sleeve and he showed him, he showed him a big rash he had on his hand. And he said, this rash is from what you just, what you just described. Mm. Our actions affect the tzaddik. We're part of them. The righteous are a part of us. We're a part of them. Remember we discussed that Rebbe is an acronym for the head of all of Israel. He is a part of us. We are all a part of him. And so when we, when we ask, why do we need a tzaddik? 
we're just connecting to ourselves. Remember you saw that video electricity? It's a wonderful video. All it said is, if you unplug, you're painting yourself. If you plug back in, you're just becoming a part of one big whole. We're, we're all one, when we say we're one big happy family, it's, it's literally. That is who we are. We all, God forbid, if one Jew wouldn't have been by Mount Sinai, God wouldn't have given the Torah. Why? We wouldn't have been a complete entity. We wouldn't have been a complete body. How about if we leave out the happy and just say one big family? <laughs> <laughs> we won't be successful. Because God says you must be happy. Sure. Just being a smart ass. <laughs> Let's read inside. This explains... I'm going to start reading the Tanya just because I got feedback that the recordings weren't so clear. Um, so I'm going to read the Tanya with everyone's permission. This explains the comment of our sages on the verse and to cleave unto him. He who cleaves unto a scholar of the Torah is deemed by the Torah as if he had become attached to the very Shekhinah. Yes, let me start. I apologize. Let me tell you where I am. Fantastic question. In the Tanya itself, we are on page number nine. Read it. Last word of page number nine. This. If you are in your handout, so we are currently on page number three, second paragraph. This explains. Everyone got it? Jim, you found it? No. Are you on page number nine? We're in different page numbers. What chapter? Are we? We're in chapter two. Okay. Um, we're in chapter 2. Did everyone find you? Are you sure you found it? This, right here. This explains... What did you say? Read the passage where you are in, in chapter 2. This explains the comment of our sages on the verse, and to cleave unto him. He who cleaves unto a scholar of the Torah is deemed by the Torah as if he had become attached to the very Shechina divine presence. Wow. How could this be? That's a quote from the Talmud. How could it be? For through attachment to the scholars... The nefesh, ruach, and neshama. Remember we discussed that there's, three, there's five parts to the soul, three of them within us. So through attachment to the scholars, these three parts of the soul within our body, nefesh, ruach, and neshama of the ignorant, are bound up and united with their original essence and their root in the supernal wisdom. If we, the foot, connect to the head, connect to the tzaddik, connect to the Torah scholars and the Torah scholars are the head and the head is connected to God's wisdom so then the heel is connected directly, directly to God. We, through our connection to the head, are connected directly to God. And the, he and his wisdom being one and he is the knowledge. Meaning through us connecting to our brain and the brain of a tzaddik was inspired by God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is his essence. So the second we attach to a tzaddik, we've connected to God's essence. Through connecting to a tzaddik, in summary, we connect to God's very essence. 
So when we ask, why do we need a tzaddik? We don't need a tzaddik. We are a tzaddik. We may not act like a tzaddik, but the tzaddik is us. We are the tzaddik. We're one. With, without him, we're, we've cut off ourselves from our life source. And this explains to us the big deal of a tzaddik, the big deal of a Rebbe. Why do people run after the Rebbe? Why do they go visit the Rebbe? Because he, he is us. You visit your parents. You visit, you visit the Rebbe. You visit, your, you visit your parents. You visit your head. It's all the same thing. It's even more. Than you, yes? Every Jew has the same potentiality. The Rebbe has realized it fully. I have to, I have to argue on that. <laughs> and we're going to learn soon that no, the heel will never be a foot, will never be the head. Your right hand will never be your left hand. There are differences in souls. We're gonna, and we're going to learn about that momentarily. Okay, that's, I'll have to hear that because either, either I blatantly misinterpreted this or I have a belief that it's not canon. I hope before 9 o'clock I'll be able to give you complete clarity in your question. But now we come to a question. We've said it makes a lot of sense. Someone who connects to a tzaddik has connected to his life source. God forbid we all know if someone disconnects any part of their body from their brain, it's, it's done. So a person that's connected to a tzaddik, I understand how he's alive. I understand where his nourishment comes from. I understand where his blood, where his energy comes from. But someone that goes against righteous people and pe people that even more, they go ahead and they fight against a tzaddik. According to what we're saying, they shouldn't be alive. If the tzaddik is the brain of all of us, then the second you don't connect with him, you're not alive anymore. Just like, unfortunately, in a body, the second you separate from the head, you're done. This, so we are people that are not connecting to a tzaddik. Now, we're not talking about someone that doesn't know. That's a separate story. It's not their own. We're talking about someone that deliberately goes ahead and fights against a tzaddik. How is he physically alive? His soul should have left. And now we're going to get introduced to a new Kabbalistic concept. And that is called Le'achar Kaspoi. Le'achar Kaspoi means behind your back. I could give you something. I could say, so good to see you. Or I could say, it's so good to see you from the back. <laughs> I could say, here are the $100. Or I could say, just take the $100 and go. There's face to face. And there's throwing it behind. So, someone that connects with the tzaddik, he's able to have that face-to-face -face connection with him. Someone that goes against the tzaddik, he's still going to be alive, but he's going to get negative energy from the tzaddik. It's going to be from behind. The tzaddik's going to say, look, you're, if this is the way you're acting, okay, take some energy, remain alive, but I'm not going to give you that appropriate and holy energy. Let's see that in the brackets. Let's continue on in the Tanya. As for them who willfully sin and rebel against the sages. So we are, how are they alive if you're rebelling against the sage? The nurture of their nefesh, ruach, and ishama comes from behind the back. As it were, of the nefesh, ruach, and ishama of the scholars. So yes, again, we've concluded now 
that every we're all one and there are differences we're not going to say there's no differences there are differences between people we have to remain connected to a tzaddik and someone that doesn't the tzaddik will give him energy but it's going to be negative energy it's going to be from behind his back are there any questions? Vicky, it looks to me like you have a question you know um, I feel badly that I never met Rabbi Schneerson because he got sick when your mother finally got me to want to go and, uh, and yet I understand the Rebbe is in another room and he can hear us, but we don't see him. But it's hard to grasp. You know, my secular mind is having trouble with that. And so forgetting energy, I get it from the classes, from you, your siblings, your parents. But um, I don't know if that's what you mean. What is the problem? If we'll say, let's take this and let's take that. Now, first of all, you're asking a fantastic question. You're saying, if we can't go and see the Rebbe, yeah. so how are we connected to him? Is that the question? You know, it's not just the Rebbe. There are a lot of people who have the Rebbe's capacity. And we're not, I mean, I'd like to meet Avraham. You know, um, I, you know, we, we're, we've been taught from you guys for 25 years and I understand we can't see the Rebbe or God or Moses, but we believe in them. And I understand the concept that they're in another room, we don't see them, but they hear us. Um, it's just, as I said, it's hard for me to swallow. Aviva's asking a fantastic question, amazing question. At a, the Jewish people throughout history have always prayed by the grave sites of tzaddikim. I know that, and I did at the Yoko. Fantastic. Yeah. And I just want to talk about that for a moment. Throughout history, Hoshea Binun, he was about to be sent to go scout out the land with the, 12, with the other 11 spies. And he went to Hebron. He, oh, yeah, there you go. He went to Hebron, he went to go pray. By the by, this gravesite yeah. of the patriarchs and matriarchs. Yeah. Moshe therefore changed his name to Yehoshua. Yes, we find that when the Jewish people were going into exile, they went to visit the grave of Rachel. Everyone familiar with the story of Rachel? She's buried on a roadside, ruffled in, in order to allow the Jewish people, when they were going into exile, to pray at at her gravesite. It is not only is it, do we see throughout history, we've always prayed at the gravesite of tzaddikim, but there's actually, it's, it's a very positive, it's, it's quoted all over in halacha. Why is that? Since a tzaddik 
was not physical to begin with. His whole life was a spiritual life. So therefore, when his soul departs, nothing has happened to him. His, soul, his, his body, while he was living, was spiritual. And now when his body is left, he's still spiritual. He's the same person. And therefore, when we pray at the graveside of a tzaddik, we're praying at the tzaddik is there. So when we ask, how do we connect to a righteous person? When we, you know, people go, they visit Israel, you go all over, there's so many, there's so many burial sites of the greatest people. We're not visiting history. We're visiting people. There are people that we're actually we're talking to them. And so we have the ability to actually fully connect with those people. I hope that was helpful. Sure. <laughs> Any other questions? Dr. Yosef. I have one question, but it's probably not applicable. But um, recently, I mean, like in the, in the past year, there, there were some very prominent rabbis who became, came into disrepute. Um, and I, I think, you know, this was in the news and all, all that. And uh, so people had, had trusted them, you know, and then, and then when the revelation came out about then um, uh, they were, um, um, well, it was very, it was very, you know, it was difficult that people would give yeah. their trust to um, this, this uh, uh, in in particular. Um, and so I, I'm wondering, since, since nobody, I mean, um, nobody is really perfect, um, is, is there a danger that this this idea of, of connected to exotic will um, lead to abuse? I am very happy you brought up that question. Very important question. Unfortunately, recently we've heard about stories, yes, where rabbis have have used their position um, to harm people in, in different methods, in different ways. And so the question being asked is, are we being naive and, and putting ourselves in a negative situation by allowing ourselves to connect to tzaddik and righteous people in such a method, like this free connection almost? A very good, very good question. And the terms, that's why I started off this class defining the terms a tzaddik and a tamad chacham. It's very important to know, a rabbi doesn't mean that he's a tzaddik. Not only that, let's be realistic, a rabbi probably is not a tzaddik. The tzaddik we're talking about is someone that is in full control of all of his thoughts, doesn't sin. Rabbis are human beings, and yes, they do make mistakes. A tzaddik we're talking about is someone in a different caliber. That's a tzaddik. Talmud Chacham. Over here the Talmud used the word you should connect to a scholar of wisdom. Also we clarified it doesn't mean someone that learns Torah. It means someone that fully recognizes 
the deeper and has a deep understanding in the creation of the world. That means he's fully connected to God. Someone, a rabbi today, you could become a rabbi by passing a test, like anything else. That doesn't make you Tamar Chacham. Doesn't make you a tzaddik. A very important clarification. And therefore, before someone connects to a rabbi, they need to make that decision. And they need to really, you know, decide, is this person the person that I, I feel I want to connect with? I hope I was able to answer your question. No, but even more importantly, I, I just want to add even more than that. Again, when the Talmud says to connect to a Talmud Chacham, it is talking about the leader of the generation. It's talking about a whole different level. It's talking about, like I said before, it's Sadiq, someone that is way above he is the Rosh B'nai Yisrael, the Rebbe, the, the head of all of us. That's, that's who we're referring to. So for someone to go ahead and give themselves over to, um, to a rabbi without, you know, without um, maintaining their, you know, keeping, keeping focus of what's happening probably wouldn't be the smartest thing. Clear? Until now we've established that our souls are completely godly. They completely come from God. Yet, in Judaism, Judaism, in contrast to what many people think, says one of the greatest moments of life, one of the holiest moments of life, is the moment of union between husband and wife. Not only is it not something negative, but it's the greatest thing possible. It's a complete union of husband, wife, and God. And there's a lot that the Torah tells us about that moment. You know, when, when before someone gets married, there's actually sfarim, books, that they need to learn, that clarify how they should think at that time, how they should act at that time. We're taught that that time is as holy as the Amida, as as holy as saying the Amida, where we have to be fully focused, we're not allowed to talk. Very, very holy time. Unfortunately, in the same time, we learn that if someone doesn't act appropriately, then it affects the child. It could, it could affect the child gravely. There's many different um, things that we learn about what could happen. But this, if, if I'm telling you that the sanctification of the parents at that moment affects the child, I've destroyed everything I said until now. Until now we learned we're all one and our soul comes directly from God. But if we're saying that parents play a part in it, we've contradicted that statement. So how does this work together? How could we say that our soul comes directly from God and at the same moment say our soul is dependent on our parents? It's a good question. It's not my question. This is the question that Shneer Zalman asks. 
Let's, let's read it inside together. As for what is written in the Zohar, and in Zohar Chadash, to the effect that the essential factor, meaning if you want to have good children, you want to have proper children, what's the essential factor? To conduct oneself in a holy manner dur during sexual union, which is not the case with the children of the ignorant, and so on, says the, ta says the Zohar, that those children, unfortunately, they weren't brought up with the parents having the most holy union. So that means, unfortunately, the parents had a direct effect on their child. Answers of Schneer Zalman, he says, no. The parents do not affect the soul of the child. No matter what happens, no matter how the, ch the parents acted, they have not affected the soul of the child. What is the Zohar saying then that they have? The Zohar is saying that they affected the clothing of the child. Parents are responsible for the clothing of a child. What's the spiritual clothing of the child? The spiritual clothing of the child is the animalistic soul, the first soul. The, the method of, of how the child will act on a day-to-day -day basis, his general actions, that is affected by the child. But the, but the godly soul, but that is affected by the parents. But the godly soul will never be affected by the parents. It is to be understood what, when the Zohar says that the parents' union affects the child, is to be understood as meaning that since there is not a nefesh, ruach, and ishama, which has not a garment of the nefesh of its father's and mother's essence, remember, has a garment. It has clothing from its parents. And all the commandments that it fulfills are all influenced by that garment. Of course. If the child is, a if the child is going to be a, a very wild child, that will affect how he'll be able to perform Torah and mitzvot. So if he's a very mellow child, that will also affect him. So the, the garment of the child will certainly, that is, that is affected by the parents, will certainly have an effect on his actions. And hence, through self-sanctification, one will cause to the descent for the nishama of one's child a holy garment. And however great a soul may be, it still needs the Father's sanctification. No matter how great the soul is, without the sanctification of the parents, there will be a loss. The soul will be the same soul, but it will be harder for the child to be able to come to what it needs to be. But as for the soul itself, it sometimes happens that the soul of an infinitely lofty person comes to be the son of a despised and lowly man. All this has been explained by Rabbi Isaac, Rabbi Isaac Luria, the Arizal of blessed memory, Likute Torah on Parshish Vayera, and in Itame Hamitos on Parshish Bereshis. What did we just say? That yes, the parents' union has an effect, but only on the garments of the soul. And let's prove that, says Rabbi Shneir Zalman, quoting from the Arizal, that you, we find that you have parents which were not the holiest parents, and they had the holiest child. Obviously, the essence of the soul is direct from God.
Very powerful. Very, very powerful. No one and nothing can affect our connection to God. Nothing. Not even our parents. That's the point I made from the 13-petal rose by uh, uh, Rabbi um, uh, Steinsaltz that Hashem recombines the holy soul as he sees fit and it's not directly connected to the parents. Oh, I, I didn't understand. If you were saying connected to the parents, you're 100% correct. But I was just observing that there are differences in souls. And it is Hashem that makes that combination. 100%. So let's summarize what we've established today. We've established we are all one person. We must remain connected. If, God forbid, we don't remain connected as a Jewish people, we're not complete. And that is why we must connect to Tzaddik. The Tzaddik is us. He is our brain. Just like your foot needs your brain, we need our brain. We need a Tzaddik. And yes, we established that a Tzaddik doesn't mean a rabbi. A Tzaddik means someone who is on a different level than us. Someone that is, as Rebbe stands for, Rosh B'nai Yisrael. He's a leader of the Jewish people. And we went so far to explain that even our parents, yes, how they act is important, but still they don't affect our soul. It's our soul is directly from God. So in summary, if we have to say, which we've just finished chapter 2, if we have to say, what is the summary of chapter 2 of Tanya? We are completely connected to God. Our soul is completely connected to God, and nothing can affect that connection. Are there any questions? Okay, thank you very much, everyone. <laughs>